What is going on, Amazon sellers, and welcome back to the Clear the Shelf podcast with myself and my indefatigable co-host, Chris Rasick. Today, we have an extra special guest. Uh, you may know him on Instagram as at Eli underscore happy life. Uh, Eli, welcome to the show, man. I appreciate you taking the time to uh, to hang out with us. Thank so, you. Yeah, absolutely. Tonight, we're going to be talking a little bit about wholesale. Wholesale seems to be trending among the Amazon community. Uh, I know that I spend a lot of time on Twitter and Facebook, a little bit of time on Instagram, uh, and wholesale just seems to be on everyone's lips. Uh, and so even though our last episode was also about wholesale, we'd figure we'd ride, ride this wave just a little bit longer. Uh, and our plan, just like the last episode, is to get Eli to spill as many processes, strategies, and secrets that we can pull out of him over the next uh, 45 minutes or so. But before we dive in, uh, we may not hide this show behind a paywall or make you opt into anything for any of this content, but the show is not free. So if you find some value in this show or any other episode that you've watched, please give us the equivalent of a digital handshake. Hit the follow button on your favorite podcast player, or if you're watching this on YouTube, hit the subscribe button uh, so that you can see the next episodes. Seeing the pod rise in the charts, a uh, little shout out to us. We were in the top 50 in Shanghai recently, uh, which, was, uh, which was something that really got the blood flowing. Uh, but seeing those charts go up and to the right give us just enough of a dopamine hit to keep coming back to this uh, and recording more episodes for you guys. So uh, that is your call to action for uh, for this episode. Uh, now, Eli, again, welcome to the show, man. Um, really appreciate you taking the time to hang out with us and, and banter a little bit uh, about Amazon. And uh, I always kind of like to uh, like to volley an easy question to get started. So, uh, what's your best ASIN? I've heard this show before. Um, thanks for having me. I, I really Absolutely. appreciate it, Chris and Chris. Um, Absolutely, man. You know, I will. I, I will answer that one. And it was a polysaccharide food derivative from the fermentation process. That Interesting. was my top ASIN of twenty-two. Interesting. <laughs> do you sell that anymore? I do not. You do not. Okay. So in layman's terms, can you tell me what a polysaccharide, whatever you said was? <laughs> um, it was a baking ingredient. Interesting. Okay. Just a simple baking ingredient. Um, you'd find anywhere in any, any kitchen cabinet. And I would never have thought, but you hop onto these things and you find them. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's interesting. We may come back to that here in a little bit. So I'll tell you what I like to. I always like to kind of set the stage a little bit before uh, before we get going. So if you don't mind, what uh, what kind of annual sales did you have for 2022, and and what do you think your estimated sales are for 2023? Yeah, we 2022 was my first full year of selling on Amazon, nice. though I started in 21. Um, but for 22, we were just butting up to 600,000 in sales. That is, that is awesome for a first full year. Yeah. Proud, uh, proud of that one. It took yeah. a lot of work, teamwork, and, um, we're looking to double that for, for 23. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. And everything seems to be on track so far now that we're right out of Q1. Yes, we are definitely on track for at least a million dollars in sales, and I'll be really happy when we get to one point two. That's killer, man! Oh, I look forward to I look forward to seeing that on on Instagram. That will be great. Uh, give us a give us a little bit of background. What what kind of got you on the platform and uh, and everything like that? Sure, sure. My wife and I both have long careers in the nonprofit world which if you know anything about that, it's very fulfilling, but it just kind of barely pays the bills. Mm -hmm. um, I switched out of that and I did residential mortgage underwriting for a long while. And through that, I learned behind the scenes that the people in America who are making money are the business owners and the investors. And so right away, as soon as I got into that industry, I started looking into businesses that I could invest in that were scalable. 
And right away, I, I hopped into Amazon. I started doing homework for about a year. And I kind of just transferred my skill set instead of underwriting properties for other people to lend their money to. Now I underwrite products to lend my own money to. Interesting. So I like a lot of the same skills. Interesting. Uh, so Chris did residential mortgages for a while as well. So you guys have something in common. Yep. <laughs> so you said something there that I, I find interesting. You said that uh, from underwriting loans, you you found out that business owners were the ones making the money. Was that from looking at tax returns and things like that? Or was there something else that tipped you off? Well, definitely from looking at the tax returns, from reviewing hundreds of people's of financials and just looking, peeking behind the scenes into America's real households and, and what they're up against. I could see that even the highest earning salaried workers, lawyers and judges and doctors were still capped. And, and many of them were still struggling um, a lot, in fact. Almost some of those were struggling more so than the lower paid workers that, that were more conservative and thrifty. And I just saw that the business owners were able to leverage a lot more. They were able to use other people's money. And more often than not, they were involved in multiple businesses, which sounded exciting to me. Yeah, that is that is exciting. I, okay, one last question from from your old life. Sure. Uh, what's the what's the biggest loan amount that you ever underwrote, if you're allowed to say? Yeah, it was a half a million dollars. Half a million. Okay, that's a that's just a it's like a single family <laughs> uh, three bedroom home in Colorado these days. That's the truth. Yes, sir. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's funny because from when I was a, a loan officer. I was I was writing them and and I get the packages ready and I'd send them to you the underwriters. It's funny that you say that because self-employed people I must have been knocking on the wrong doors in the wrong neighborhood <laughs> because all of all of my self-employed people that were a nightmare because they they didn't uh, the tax returns didn't show their true income you know so they'd always I'd be like well on paper it says you make this and you're like, oh I make way more than that well you decided not to pay the taxes or something you know. So uh, they are, they were actually the hardest ones uh, to get done. So different perspectives uh, on different sides of the, the they are harder. They can, they're definitely harder for us to get done, but you could see that there was a lot of money flowing. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Man. Now I want to, I want to get like a, just like a week or two, like, you know, doing mortgages or, or underwriting just so I can, I can look at some of these things and see how it, how it works on the back end. That's interesting. Yeah. It was a fun time. <laughs> yeah. So, so Eli, we, we usually discuss online arbitrage and retail arbitrage on the show, as you understand, uh, just because that's what Chris and I mainly focus on. Uh, Chris does much more retail arbitrage than I do these days. Um, but I'm curious, can you tell me a little bit about what wholesale looks like to you? Sure. Um, in contrast to the OARA game, Wholesale for us looks like a lot of phone calls, a lot of taking notes and building basically new friendships almost, um, relationships with other business owners at these distribution houses, um, half, half a day on the phone, you know, every day on the phone, and employees. So running a warehouse, logistics, designing, constantly designing more and more efficient systems. It seems like as we grow, the problems that were most important yesterday disappear tomorrow because we have a whole new set. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of logistics, dealing with LTL and FTL and freight and cargo um, space and a lot of checking the bank account for cash flow management. Yeah. Wholesale cash flow is king. I mean, in OA and RA too, but especially in wholesale. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it, it always kind of interests me that, you know, nobody ever really talks about when you get into <laughs> selling on Amazon that, you know, 
once you like once you have the you know the sourcing down and you understand how to take care of your account health and uh, and you understand cash flow a little bit. Well, now your free time is spent like looking up spaghetti maps and how to properly use them in your warehouse and, uh, you know, binge watching uh, lean lean processes and, you know, Six Sigma videos and stuff. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's interesting. You can um, you can learn to sell on Amazon in six weeks, but you could spend a lifetime learning how to run your business. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So. Let, let's talk a little bit about about volume uh, when it comes to ordering with with wholesale. You know, uh, Chris will call himself an, an eternal test buyer, uh, and you know, I tell I always tell people to start with as uh, as little as you can. You know, just to kind of diversify your portfolio of products. Yeah. Uh, and so you're looking at you know five, ten, fifteen, twenty units at a time on a single skew. What does what does that look like for you? Is it you know is it a hundred units minimum or uh, you know fifty? What tell me a little bit about that? I would say that for us it's no different on the wholesale side. As long as we already have that relationship, um, when I'm adding new SKUs, I do the same thing. I'll buy one case test buy if they'll allow it. Um, sometimes the minimum case buy might be three. And, and you guys have seen cases before case might only have six. So three cases is 18. That's perfect. I will test by any and everything. I mean, you've seen in Amazon, the Keepa looks right. Everything looks great. Amazon's never sold the product. And then when you buy it, <laughs> now Amazon is selling it suddenly. Right. So yeah. test by everything. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. Seen that movie before. Um, so, uh, uh, Chris alluded to it in, in the beginning about how popular wholesale is, um, and, and how it seems to be trending up. Um, so, uh, since it's hot right now and, and Chris and I both have uh, opinions on this, but uh, I want your take on it. Um, in your opinion, do you think, uh, ambitious beginners, you know, uh, uh, hot to trot beginners are, are uh, going to rush into wholesale, um, or the ones that are rushing into wholesale, um, are they going to irritate, um, managers and, and the easier to find the, the low hanging fruit wholesale suppliers? I think, no, I don't think so. I think they're going to weed themselves out very quickly. I think they're going to rush in, make bad buys, and and just irritate themselves out of the business in, in a way. Um, I think any any wholesaler knows right away if if a business person is coming to talk to them or someone who's very inexperienced. And the wholesalers they don't have a lot of time to waste. They've got orders to fill and and phone calls. I mean, I'm talking to one, and the phone is ringing off the hook in the background. So, you know, they're not going to have time to waste. If you're not ready to play ball, they're going to know right away. And they're the wholesalers that we have, we can send you their names and numbers and tell you who to talk to. And if, if you don't have the relationship that we have, you're never going to get to where we are with them. That's so the, it's almost that echoes the, the importance of relationships like you mentioned earlier uh it's almost like a uh a relationship gatekeeper uh that you have to get past it's interesting it's definitely a buddy buddy system of networks for sure interesting so i want to i want to talk a little bit about uh i guess what is your what is your prospecting method like, how do you how do you go out and find uh, you know, a distributor lead. Uh, and then, and then I'm curious, once you find, you know, a phone number or an email address or, or however it is, uh, what makes you choose that supplier to reach out to? Sure. Sure. Um, well, it's a funny mix. I got into wholesale because I didn't like the hustle and bustle of running around doing RA, mm -hmm. but I, also don't like being trapped behind the computer <laughs> so i do really enjoy those face-to-face -face conversations i will jump in the car and beat feet and hit the streets um, i'll get leads on in neighborhoods for industrial areas 
Typically, if you find one wholesaler, you drive around the neighborhood, there's five more. So if, if you can get into a neighborhood where there's a couple of distributors, even if you can only find two on Google, typically you drive to that neighborhood and almost every single person in that building is a wholesaler of some sort. You know, it, it might be something you can't even sell on Amazon, but they're there, you know, and I walk in and I, I start that conversation. I'm not afraid to do that. That was that's that's interesting. Uh, knocking on doors is actually one of the ways I I was I learned how to sell insurance. Yeah. Uh, it was it was an incredibly uncomfortable time. Uh, yeah. However, it was also it was profitable, you know, and, and not a whole lot of people were doing it, uh, you know, when I when I got started. So it's uh, tried and true. Yeah, that's kind of kind of nice to hear. Now, since you're willing to do that, I, I'm curious about your background a little bit. Do you have any door to door sales experience, maybe in high school or college or anything other than the, the chocolate candy bars you sell door to door, <laughs> you know, yeah. in high school? I did sell those chocolates, but no, not really. Um, the biggest thing is just being real, authentic and willing to talk, you know, okay. and, and being honest. You know, I don't hide that I'm an Amazon seller. In fact, it's come to my benefit more than it's been a hindrance. And I'm just open and honest and we overcome any challenges that might come up if if selling on Amazon is a problem. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. You know, speaking of also speaking of door to door, you know who could absolutely crush it at wholesale with your method? Mormons who are finished with their <laughs> their uh, you know their their work. Yeah, those guys those guys do not mind uh, knocking on doors, uh, and a lot of them turn into really good salespeople. To be quite honest, I I, I knew a couple who got into the insurance business. Yeah. Sales, uh, sales skills will go over into any business. They'll translate to any business sales. Yeah. Do you, uh, on that note, I'm, I'm curious, uh, because it, it if, I've never worked for a nonprofit, but, um, do you, do you think that kind of helped you be more comfortable making those calls? Because now here's where I'm going with this is, is I think nonprofits kind of have, a uh, more pride in their mission. You know, I, I think some of the reservations that, that salespeople have is, you know, they're not fully confident in the product or the mission statement of the company they're working for. Do, does that, is there a little bit extra confidence with a nonprofit? And do you think that kind of translates? I think it could have. Absolutely. You make a great point. Um, we definitely had pride in our work because we were helping people. So it was easy to be proud of yeah. the work and, Definitely, I'm proud of the work I'm doing now. So we, we believe in our company and our mission. We're not just here as Amazon sellers. We have, you know, an ethos behind our company and we exist to create jobs in our community where there's a need. And so I, I think that helps. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've got one other quick follow up with what yeah. you talked about before we move on. Um, <clears throat> you talked about going into neighborhoods and when when I think of these kind of industrial parks, if you will, where a lot of these distributors might be, I think of I think of two very different kinds of buildings. So not too far from my neighborhood, there is a, a set of industrial buildings, uh, or I guess they call them uh, mixed use buildings, where they're they're all kind of one story, you know, buildings, and uh, and they're all just in rows. And then I also think of the massive warehouses, uh, uh, sort of like a, a Kroger distribution center in Amazon DC. Uh, which one of those two types of places are you looking for, or is it both? I would look for the former, the, those strips of industrial buildings where it's one unit just tied to the next to the next. And, okay. um, you know, plumbing supplies are back there and mm -hmm. the HVAC guys are hiding back there. There's usually a scrap metal place. Right um, next to an auto repair place. And a, exactly. Yeah. The, gotcha. the, um, I mean, they're looking just like I am for cheap warehouse space to move goods. And that's, that's usually where it is. Perfect. That is for, for anybody listening before we move on to the next question, that, 
in my opinion, may be the nugget from from this episode. Because uh, I, I highly doubt, you know, for me, you know, if I'm in a store, if I'm on the road, I, I'm taking pictures of, you know, wholesalers that then, then just kind of go into the dustbin and I never actually reach out to them because I'm lazy. Uh, <laughs> you know, but I could easily drive by all kinds of these places, you know, when I've got a little free time and, and probably pick up some some leads and uh, and even just knock on doors. So that's yeah. cool. Thank you. Yeah, you walk in and talk to them and you'd be surprised what's behind the actual door. I mean, I've walked into what I thought were going to be supplies for one thing and there's a whole different product or set of products in a corner that they've forgotten they had and are gold mines. So you, you just never know. It's interesting. Um, speaking of, uh, uh, you talked about how you decide, uh, what doors to, to try to walk in and whatnot. Uh, once you've decided that, um, or you've, you know, you've driven around and, and you've kind of gotten a game plan together. Um, what's the strategy, uh, once you walk through the door, like, how do you, how do you approach them, uh, with it, you know, just a cold visit? Um, and, and how do you try to kind of lead the conversation to, to go the direction you want it to go? Absolutely. Um, I'll always bring a check. Cash is king in wholesale and in any business line, money talks, right? So um, with wholesale, when you walk in and I introduce myself and I say that I have my own business, I will say that I'm interested in adding to my portfolio what I sell. They'll always ask what I sell and I sell whatever they sell. So whatever their niche is for that conversation is my niche, but I'm open to selling anything. And so we have this conversation and um, I'm always looking to get access to their lists, right? That's, that's what we need. And um, I always let them know that I have the check and I'll always offer that, you know, I'm ready to spend five or $10,000 today if we can make something work. Very few salesmen and even fewer business owners will let you walk out the door with the check in your pocket. <laughs> they really are eager to have that transaction and have that check in their hand by the time you're ready to leave. And so they're often eager to give you really good deals right on the spot because you're there. You've taken the time and they have 50 emails sitting there from other people just like me but I'm there and I have the check and I'm not asking for an account. I'm asking for them to take the money from me. They're more wow. than, usually more than happy to. That's a, that's a great strategy. Do you, so how do you do it? Do you like, do you kind of like trip over and let the check fall out of a shirt pocket or, Oh, sorry, let me get. No, that. I mean, if, if the conversation's going well and it looks like there might be some products that we can work with or talk more about, um, I would just let them know that, you know, let, let me in, let, let's take a walk in the back warehouse and let's see what you have. I'm, I'm ready to buy today. You know, I can make an order today. You can pack it up and we'll have a truck here tomorrow to pick it up or whatever. Um, they're, they're often more than you'd imagine. They're, they're willing and ready because they have a brand new customer. And if they think, all right, you've brought 5,000 today, they know you're ready to buy more. And, mm -hmm. and from, from the list at home, they know that from your office, you can scan it and, and buy way more. So, yeah, boy, what a, what a great strategy on how to stand out, you know, from all the rest of those emails and phone calls that they're to get the rest of the day. That's awesome. Yeah. I really, really like that. So I'm, I am curious though, uh, what, what tools are you taking with you to be able to figure out what's profitable and what's not profitable while you're sitting there? Sure. I'm never afraid to pull out the phone. I mean, they know that I've got to do some research. I'm not just going to buy any and everything. Um, I also will always bring my wife, who's my business partner, and that helps to kind of keep the conversation flowing while I'm looking at the phone. So, you know, I'll try to get into the warehouse from the warehouse. Covertly, I can scan 10 things in a, you know, 90 second conversation and and be not not hiding that I'm looking on my phone, but just looking at data, 
kind of inconspicuously while maintaining the conversation, but she does help to do that as well. Well, that's awesome. So. Nice. Uh, and so I would imagine you're using something like Scoutify or Scoutify, Keepa, okay. and just always checking Keepa. Uh, you know, Keepa's Keepa's Keepa pretty important. <laughs> So now when you're doing this, have you found that, cause you said that you've done some, you've done some RA, you've done a little OA, right? Yep. Okay. Absolutely. So when you're ordering wholesale are, are the margins slimmer? I've had this question asked before and it really just depends. Mm -hmm. um, I've gone into wholesale warehouses that have brands that everyone is selling and yes those margins are definitely slimmer i've also gone into warehouses that have surprise products that no one is selling where i control the buy box and i control the margins carte those blanche are, those are those are beautiful so yeah it just depends i mean if you're crafty and you're willing to spend what it takes to get those big discounts I don't see why it should be any slimmer of a margin. Okay. Uh, so let's say that someone wants to start transitioning from RAOA, or maybe they just started and they're like, you know what, I'm just going to bypass all of this, uh, going store to store and, and, you know, and scanning all these websites. What kind of margin should, do you think people should shoot for as they're getting started in wholesale? I think that before they even think about that, they should wonder if they want to run warehouses of people every day, uh -huh. because that's what we do. We do, you know, before I even look at products, I have to check in, open the door of the warehouse, make sure someone's there to prep and package. And if they're not, I'm doing it. Okay. And I so like before that. any of that, I had to get the warehouse, secure the leases, have the money for all of that so until you can afford all of those i don't think anyone should even be playing around with it i, I like that answer okay <laughs> it's not quite the answer maybe you were asking for but um running a warehouse and and a commercial lease is no joke oh yeah i mean people are the most difficult uh you know, thing to manage. Uh, How many you know. prep centers have come and gone because they couldn't find the labor? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so. that's, I mean, it, it's honestly, it's why I don't, you know, I could probably have a prep center and, and fill it up pretty easily, but I know that it's not a strong suit of mine managing, managing <laughs> other people. It's hard enough to manage my own life, right. uh, <laughs> let, let alone the work life of other people. So I actually, I, even though that's not really the question I, I wanted, but that's, that's the that was the right answer. I like that. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Yeah, and we've we've even made that point when we talked about hiring VAs. You know, it, it's you're talking about people's livelihoods. You know, their employment and, and how they're putting food on the table every day. So, you know, and that's you know that's only three to five dollars an hour or whatever you find that for. So scale that up to you know your level, and and it's a it's a valuable point. So I mean, I I'm having employees that I value and and. We have to keep the products flowing in order to keep them happy enough to come back. And I can't just say, hey, we don't have work for you today. Please come back tomorrow and trust they will. People have to feed their families, like you said. And and that's right. why I'm doing this is is to create jobs and, and valuable jobs. So, you know, it's important. Yeah, definitely. Um, so maybe uh, maybe the ones that don't take the check, uh, the wholesalers that, that you've approached, um, or in general, uh, the ones that need a little bit more um, coercing and, and a little bit more relationship building. Um, what's your follow-up process like? Like, how do you handle uh, the ongoing uh, connections with the with your network? I will just keep coming back. I'm like the tenacious dog that won't stop barking and biting your ankles. I, I just keep coming back. I mean, in person, like, in person, this is all by phone, I'll keep keep popping okay. up. I mean, we hear today it takes like seven to fifteen impressions to hear a commercial. I'm that guy, you know. Eventually, they're gonna just sell me something to get me to go away. 
and and then I just keep coming back for even more. Um, but you know, one of the things I will say that I do that's kind of funny and maybe a little off the wall um, is that from the start I will ask for something crazy. I will walk in and I'll say that I want to buy stuff, and I'll let them know I'm ready. But I'll also ask for thirty percent discount. And if they laugh at me, I know there's not really any reason for me to spend much time. But if they laugh and then kind of look at me like I'm serious, oftentimes they'll say, well, we can't do 30, but we can do 10. And, and now I know they have room to do 30 one day. It's all about that relationship. Hmm. It might take a year to get there. It might take spending $300,000 to get there, but we're going to get there. Um, we know they have room and they're, they're business people. So if, even if they say we can give you 2%, it's a foot in the door for a cold call. I mean, that's amazing, right? So if, if they laugh and, and laugh me out the door, I know they never had room to even bargain in the first place. So Interesting. it kind of weeds out those ones. So, yeah. and I, so I know you said that that you know you'll say something crazy like thirty percent uh, discount, right? You know, kind of up front. Okay. Uh, but that sounds very planned to me. Uh, and so I'm curious: are are you trying to use some some price anchoring psychology on them when you do that, or sure. you know, where did that come in? Yeah, I mean, I'm asking for something crazy because if they have room for 20 and I can drop the 10 grand today, we're going to have a great relationship, you know. But, Interesting. you know, they might come back with 10 or 15 and, and for a lot of lists, that's enough to make some profits in wholesale. Mm -hmm. You can make it work, especially with small and light and and some of the skews even heavy and big that people aren't going after where there's not a lot of volume just because there's not a lot of sellers mm -hmm. there's so much room on Amazon it's crazy to hear anyone say it's saturated yeah yeah I mean, yeah it is <clears throat> so let's let's talk a little bit about product selection you know since sure. uh, since we kind of brought that up a little bit uh, and you've already sort of answered this it's going to be a two-parter so are you are you going both wide and deep, or do you really just try to pick to stick to one strategy on on depth or width of product selection? We go wide and deep. Um, it would be foolish for me to think I know everything, and as soon as I think I do, I stumble onto a new category or new product that just surprises the crap out of me, mm -hmm. and and we're so thrilled to find the next greatest thing that. I'll always go wide because there's always something new, hot and trendy. Mm -hmm. And then when you find that thing where I can buy all the units, if I know that I can buy all the units from multiple distributors, maybe two or three on one SKU, then I'm controlling a huge amount of that buy box for months, maybe even. Um, and that makes a dent. I mean, that's the name of the game is supply and demand. And if I can go to a supplier in, in multiple regions, one in the West, one in the East, one in the Midwest, and buy them out of a skew, I, I know I've got control of that buy box for some time. Interesting. Okay. So when the opportunity arises, you will, you'll do your best to be able to control the supply as much as possible. Absolutely. Interesting. Yep. Okay. We take no like prisoners. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. We go yeah. wide, but when we go deep, we take no prisoners. Okay. Interesting. Uh, and and again, you've already kind of answered this, but you're not in any particular niche or category. You're happy to just whatever's profitable, we sell. Absolutely. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yep. I All don't right. want to limit myself. If if I walk in and the next distributor we're having a great conversation and they open up the warehouse and it's something I don't sell, why would I walk away? Mm -hmm. I mean, to me, there's profits there, and yeah. it could open up a whole new door into a new specialty. 
All right. So. Let me let me wrap this question up with one more. So I, I was reading a I was reading a thread from a private label seller and they were talking about how they really they kind of enjoyed uh, selling very large things. And they brought up things like uh, patio furniture and, and you know, uh, uh, bookcases and things like that. Uh, will you go that route where you're having these, you know, really large items uh, that you'll sell, uh, you know, um, maybe you're only buying, you know, five or 10 units, you know, to be able to get in the door, but uh, that are more difficult to deal with and that a lot of other sellers would probably pass over. I think in time, as space allows, as we grow into bigger and bigger warehouses, definitely. I, I don't okay. see any reason not to. Perfect. Yep. Especially I'm in the West. Um, I'm not on a coast. I'm here in Colorado and mm -hmm. there's a lot of room to play. Uh, there's the people are, are here and there's not as much supply available mm -hmm. really as there is on the coast. Yeah. So, yeah, I, that, that tweet, the, the thread that I was reading, it really got my mind spinning a little bit. You know, I have, I have thought about doing OA with uh, like you know, Ikea bookcases in the past. And I had to nix that idea because my prep center was like, I will, I will fly to your house and I'll kill you uh, if you send those to me. Uh, you know, but it, it just got those wheels spinning again that I, I really do think that there's probably a lot of opportunity there uh, because uh, that furniture and, and, you know, those large things are kind of where drop shippers like to hang out. Yep. Uh, but being able to, take over you know, via FBA if you have the space and, and can handle that kind of stuff or you know, have help. Uh, I yeah. bet you there's a ton of opportunity there. What I've learned in Amazon is that if something is working really, really well for you, the exact opposite is working really, really well for someone else. <laughs> so give it a try. I mean, yeah. why not? A lot of it seems to be a lot of breathing room in, in certain certain areas. You know, the the more friction for an Amazon seller, you know, it seems to be the the better it is for the person willing to to jump both feet into it. You know, whether it be hazmat. You know, I see that I sell a lot of small and light. You know, and, and it's it's obvious that a lot of sellers don't understand it. So uh, yeah, there's definitely opportunity there. A lot of elbow room for sure. Um, so let's uh, let, let's start inching into cash flow. Um, uh, it, there's a lot of, a lot of meat on the bone, uh, with, with this topic, but, uh, um, so I want to know, I'm curious, like how often are you using net terms? Um, net terms then... takes time and energy to develop. So okay. as much as possible, but no one is offering net terms to start. You're, you're lucky if you can even get a credit card in the door, <clears throat> mostly they want cash. And they want to see that you're spending a lot of cash for six, eight months before that's even a question, a conversation on the table that I've found. Wow. Yeah. And, um, so once, so say you've got a, a seasoned relationship, um, from your business's standpoint, how do you decide on using net terms versus cash versus credit? You know, once you have those, all the options available, net terms. 100% net terms is the way. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you're getting a, a 45 day loan for free, 45, 60 sometimes, you know, for free. And if you're doing your sourcing properly and you've been in that cycle for some time, usually you can get that money back from Amazon in time to pay your bills, mm -hmm. you know? So yeah, ideally, I like to get paid in six weeks for products. Right. <laughs> yeah. I I have a little bit of a of follow up from Chris. So you you talked about how you worked in nonprofit and then you went to you know underwriting mortgages and things and uh, and so I don't know I, unless unless you maybe got an inheritance or something. I'm guessing that you didn't have you know a hundred thousand dollars to start with. That's right. Uh, so what did you do to get the capital to move into wholesale uh, you know, before, you know, before you got into that, that side of the business? Yep. Well, I had all of my ducks in a row. Um, I had credit available. I'm a homeowner, so I could leverage some things if I needed to. 
Um, I stayed in my W-2 job for as long as I possibly could stand it before I, I went full-time in Amazon. So having that income was a huge help. And I tell anyone to do that. My wife did the same thing. She stayed in her job as long as she possibly could. And um, we had a, a small nest egg. We did save up. You know, we wanted to have a business, not a side hustle. And we did bring... I want to say we brought in $14,000 when we started. That was our budget. And so that got us our business started. That got us slowly buying inventory. I spent that money over the course of the first six months. So it wasn't from day one. I really worked that sourcing muscle and, and got a proof of concept. And then a lot of that money went straight into securing the warehouse and, and getting equipment needed to get prep ready, you know, prep center, basically. <laughs> Very nice. And so how long was it before you could actually start paying yourself again? Yep. yep. And, and one thing I'm just remembering to start a lot of FBM, a lot of oh, fulfilled okay. by merchant to get that cash ball rolling. Um, so I didn't take a paycheck for the first six months and then it was reluctantly so, and it was very, very tiny. And it was only at the advice of our financial planner who said, look, you're working two jobs. Your family is missing out on you. So what did they get in return? You've got to pay them something. And I thought about it and they said, my financial planner said, what if, Worst case scenario happens and and you're gone tomorrow. They haven't gotten your time. They've got to get something out of this, Eli. And I thought about that and I said, you're right. So we, we started taking a smaller check and it's grown in time. That's fair. Financial planner has a side hustle as a life coach, sounds like. Right. <laughs> He's trying. <laughs> He's earning his keep. Yeah. So in uh, in your business plan what's uh, what's the average length of time that you're you know comfortable holding inventory uh, and then what are the what are the decision what are the decisions that go behind you liquidating inventory sure so definitely I said we go deep sometimes I will buy stuff that I project will take up to about six months to sell but I'm not comfortable initially buying any much more than that if I can avoid it. Um, and that's really because of the volatility of the world and the markets right now. It's totally unpredictable. Um, and I'm not a better, I'm not a, a gambler. I like to go with the data and the facts. And even though Keepa is not an accurate predictor, it's pretty darn close. So, you know, we'll, we'll go deep about six months worth and liquidating. Wow. If, if I'm seeing seller count go up, I mean, that's an immediate indicator that some distributors somewhere suddenly have this or some retail shelf has this. And as soon as the RA folks are and the OA folks come in, <laughs> I've got to liquidate. I'm just not going to buy that again. Okay. How uh, you say an increase in sellers? How many seller are you looking at? Is it like a percentage, uh, you know, or is it you know? Oh well, if there's five more sellers, or what's the number? Well, let's throw a caveat in there. It's it's got to be OA and RA sellers. I'll take okay. three or four other wholesalers because they'll they'll match me on price. Okay. But you can tell when a number of, of new sellers come on and the price starts dropping every day, you, you open up and, and you're the highest seller when you've been the lowest price for months, you know, something's wrong there and, and you've got to get out. That is the difference. One huge difference. I can tell when wholesalers are selling with me because we play the same game. Mm -hmm. We match price. We even will penny up instead of penny down and and we'll both we'll three or five of us will penny up and see how far up we can go instead of the opposite so that that's really fun to watch 
Yeah, uh, that's an interesting take. Um, so it, we we always have a, a, a keep a question for for wholesalers because it's uh, obviously important. You, you've kind of tipped your hand, um, so we, we can we could spend some time gushing on on how important Keepa is, but uh, it, maybe a little bit more uh, specific on Keepa. Uh, I know you don't have a ton of experience with RA or OA, but do you look at a Keepa graph differently as a wholesaler? I probably do. Um, I look at, uh, well, I manually source through lists and my, my employees manually source through the list. So we're looking at keepers that would never even come up on your scanners, on your scanning software, because maybe they're past previous good sellers that no one's been able to get their hands on for three months. BSR has shot to a million and there's zero sellers. So they're never coming up on your, on your softwares. But I'm looking at a year ago's data and seeing that a year ago there were 20 sellers. You know, everything got stuck in the Suez Canal and people forgot about it. And now I can come in and I'll sell that product handsomely for three months until you guys find it again because I brought the BSR down and now it's hitting your softwares. So definitely I'm looking at the Keepas all different kind of ways than just, you know, 30% this many sales per month. I'm looking at all the data in, in unison. I like which, that. which comes from the background, right? As an underwriter, we're holding all those metrics in our minds and uh, parsing through that data, trying to make sense of it. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Are there, are there any specific key data points that, uh, that you're looking like? What, I guess if there were your top three data points, what are the three things you're looking at if you could look at nothing else? Top three data points, volume of sales. We have our criteria. It has to hit that number of sales per month. Um, buy box share. It has to rotate the buy box. If Amazon's on at 99%, why, why are we going to go there? Um, and a price point that that's profitable. I have to be able to hit my, my ROI so I can hit my profit margins. Okay. For sure. Perfect. An increasing price point is even better, right? Oh, decreasing, decreasing price points. We stay away from, we look for stable or increasing price points for as long as history as possible. Really? Okay. So you and so you're not just looking at the last 90 days, like you know, or maybe even six months, like a lot of OA and RA sellers might do. Not for wholesale. If I'm going to drop 10 grand on a SKU today and and look at it in my warehouse all day for the next week, day after day, I want to really like it. Awesome. Yeah. What uh, what does your day to day operation look like? Like I guess lay out your schedule for me a little bit and and how you manage your time. Sure. Um, we'll throw a nod out to um, the Amazon Kingpin. If you guys ever came across Jacob, I bumped yeah. into him in Miami and he put, it, he put it great. He said, we're dialing for dollars. <laughs> so every day we're, we're dialing for dollars, whether it's hitting the streets or the phones or the emails. We are reaching out to new suppliers to generate new relationships and see where they can go. Sometimes it might take many, many tries to, to get that relationship going, much like a friendship. You bump into somebody 10 times before you figure out what makes you click. Um, and we put in the time. So that's a good part of the day. We start every day checking in with the in-person employees at the warehouse and our, our online VAs, you know, to get the day going. That's, that's key. Good leadership. You've got to check in and be present. Mm -hmm. And we do the same thing to wrap up the day. We check in with the employees and, and wrap up and have a send off where we make sure they want to come back tomorrow. Um, and then that like middle part, 
sort of the end middle part of that day is kind of putting out any fires. Um, things come up all day, every day in wholesale, the delivery trucks come or they don't. And the, the pickups come or they don't. And we've always got to figure out where they are and when they're going to be here. Nice. I asked, uh, I asked similar questions to my wife every night. She works midnights at the hospital. I say, you're, you're coming back tomorrow, right? Um, so always hoping she says yes. <laughs> That's good. <crazy. laughs> <That's crazy. laughs> um, so, uh, a cash flow again, I want, I want to go back to that. Um, and, uh, and now you said you're using net terms as much as possible. Um, can you, can you kind of give me a, a kind of like the big picture, like overall, how do you manage cash flow with, with your wholesale business? Cash flow is king. I mean, if I want to go in and, and bluff my way into a new relationship, I've got to have the cash to back it up. So, you know, um, I'm a big believer in building a business on as much cash as possible. Those credit card bills are going to be due and they come up faster than you think. And I, I've seen a number of failed businesses because they didn't manage their cash flow. So I'm looking at the bank accounts. I'm looking at what Amazon is projecting to pay me every single day. I mean, I know my numbers in and out. I'm checking in with, um, you know, we have someone that does our books. So I'm, I'm checking in with the accountant constantly. We have a meeting every month to look at where we can improve, um, where we can shave and save and conserve and um and where it makes sense not to where it makes sense to maybe spend some money to make some money so that we're not um you know stepping over dollars to pick up dimes so it, it's it's cash is is king and knowing those numbers is paramount to any business yeah would would you mind giving us an example uh, without giving away any secrets or or anything like that about uh, where it has made sense for you to invest uh, and not necessarily try to reduce spending uh, to not step over those dollars? Right away, um, for me, two places. Um, the bookkeeper, number one. Um, we just, well, you guys probably are too, we just wrapped up our taxes. We're signing the dotted lines this week. And I'll say I got a free bookkeeper for the year. The amount of money that she saved me and the tax savings harvested that I would have never been able to find, um, it's it's more than paid for itself. That's fantastic. That's more than paid for itself. So that's one place. We spent some money on the front end, right? Paying that monthly bill, but I'm about to get more than that back, much more. And, and so I had free business advisor for a year, yeah. which is their profession. You know, they've got the, the continuing ed that I don't. And then the second place has been in the warehouse. Um, in essence, we're building our own prep center for us. And sure, I had to spend some money to get there. We had to buy equipment. We had to get some things. I'm paying for employees on the U.S. labor market. However, I have quality of assurance. I know where my products are. I'm not losing products. And we can prep hundreds of units per hour. And um, when I see some of those prep center bills and invoices that my friends get, I am astonished because I tell them what I pay in rent and what I pay in labor. And, and we're looking at each other, wondering what the other one's doing wrong. <laughs> so, but then they, they, um, have a lot more free time than I do, mm. you know? And, and so we're pumping the volume and they're buying time. Yeah. yeah. But you also, you've said this multiple times, you want to create jobs. And yes, so sir. that's a, yeah, that's something that, that it has to be different for you. <clears throat> like I know some guys who sell, you know, eight figures a year in wholesale and they went from having their own warehouse, uh, in, you know, a rural area, uh, where they created jobs and they moved to a prep center because 
they did they wanted that time back they wanted to not have to deal with the headache of managing people and and all that stuff so but yeah interesting okay yeah a long term i'd like to build an exit strategy um and i think that's I have a hard time envisioning an exit strategy for an OARA business. So, yeah, but with I, wholesale for me, it's much easier to envision. Yeah. I, I think that OA and RA is, it's really a cash flow business. I, I, I can think of maybe one or two opportunities for an exit, but you have to have a significant uh, moat around the business that, it's rather difficult to create for, for most people, I think. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, it, when you are, when you're sourcing, you're, you're going and picking out wholesalers to, you know, to knock on doors or, uh, picking products. Are, are you looking for distributors, uh, that are more likely to carry well-known brands? Uh, are you really looking for some smaller niche brands or even maybe even white label type products? Great question. Um, I'm pretty wide open, but and I, and I've had good success on both sides, but they've got to have the fast movers on the list. They've got to have those name brands. I mean, I don't want to spend a lot of time and a lot of money tied up in slow hope they will sell products, right? We want to flip that money as many times as possible every year every month. And, and so they've got to have those fast movers. Um, but I'm happy to fill in the catalog with some percentage of, of items that maybe they do have a slower movement time, but the ROI is, is there to back it up. Yeah. Not everything is going to sell out tomorrow, but it, but the name brands will always and will continue to sell because they're doing the PPC for us. You know, every mm -hmm. time you turn on the TV and you see the commercial, they're they're doing that labor and that that hard hard work for us, and I'm glad for it. <laughs> right, I, I love it when I see a brand that I know that I've sold on on you know in a Super Bowl ad. Absolutely, like, hey, you guys <laughs> buy two spots next year. I <laughs> right. love that. Right. Yep. Yep. Is That's there great. a for a fast mover that is a, a well-known brand name, what uh, what's something? What what point would you reach where you actually kick that out and and it it becomes a, a no go for you? Like, what are the, you know for the you know all intent and purposes? It seems like a money maker, but but what uh, what would make you kick it out? Kick it out. It's got a well. We've got set criteria for metrics for. Um, how long we're how fast it's going to sell out or what we think and so if i see something that's slowing down that's not hitting those metrics that i would buy it again we're reevaluating even those same products that we've sold we're reevaluating them every time we buy so if it's not hitting those targets again month after month it comes off the list um i i don't buy with emotion and i don't get attached um, like I was telling you that that baking ingredient that we were selling boatloads of in 22, I haven't bought once in 23. It's still profitable, but it does not hit my targets. It, it hits the volume, but it doesn't hit the ROI because so many other sellers have come on. And I just there's a wide enough market. I like to say that um, it, it's sometimes it's good to leave some low hanging fruit for the other people. Mm -hmm. Right. I can go after the harder things. Good. So I know that compared to say me, for example, you're, you're still a fairly newer seller. Yes. Very. So I, I will have to give you a, a big kudos for, for not being emotional with products. I, <sighs> I have had way too many conversations with people where they're like, Oh, well, you know, it, it it might come back or, you know, I'm really just waiting so that I can make a, a return on this. And it's not, uh, and they've had it for a year, a year and a half. Uh, so I really appreciate that. Now, it's we're, we're looking at the data from every angle. I mean, the, the bookkeeper helps us with that. You know, they're, they're keeping us accountable. 
we've got to answer to them. If I have any boss, it's my bookkeeper. Um, and, and we've got to hit those numbers or we're not going to hit our annual goals and profit margins rule, right? It's mm -hmm. not just ROI. It's those actual net margins at the end of the day. And we're, we're trying to build a data-driven business that's backed on science that when I'm ready to sell an exit one day, I can say, look, it wasn't because I felt like it. Here are the numbers. Here's what I can show you. You know, and 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 it can be replicated and continued. You can continue this. So that's that's awesome. It, honestly, it really sounds like you hit a home run with your bookkeeper. It almost sounds like they're they're sort of acting like a fractional CFO for you guys, and that's kind of we're nice. Trying. Yeah. We're trying. I'll ask any question and every question until they tell me to go away. <laughs> I like it. Yep. Nice. So it's like fifty first dates like this. So the prod. The product is Adam Sandler and you're Drew Barrymore and the product has to win you over every order all over again. That's that's great. <laughs> Guys, I've put my my financial planner, my bookkeeper and myself in the same room. We've had those hard conversations and I've said, look, you guys tell me what to do. You're the professionals and I'll just bounce them off each other and, and exploit every advantage that we can because we have to. We've got to grow. There was a time the bookkeeper said, you've got to reduce FBA fees. You're paying a higher percentage of FBA fees than you should be. And we really had to scratch our heads and think, how can we do that? How do you reduce what Amazon is charging you? And we came up with some creative ways. It, it is possible. Um, but I would have never thought to do that. I wasn't mm -hmm. even thinking it was possible until they put that in my head. So we're and i know that i know that we're already over time but you're gonna have to expand on that a little bit are you talking uh you're you know you're having bin checks and you're having them do uh uh you know check size and weight or are you trying to make sure that there's fewer storage fees what what all have you that. done to all of it okay. all of that and especially leveraging ltl whenever possible mm -hmm. um using reduced fees on LTL has, has saved us a ton of money. We'll, we'll typically send in a small shipment of a new ASIN via SPD just to get that ball rolling or, or sell something FBM until the LTL shipment checks in and then send in those FBM units on the next LTL shipment. Anything we can do to get the cash flow rolling as fast as possible Fantastic. while keeping those fees low. Uh, just, a, just a quick little note for listeners, especially if you're not into wholesale or haven't heard a bunch of these terms. We've heard SPD, we've heard LTL, we've heard uh, you know, all kinds of things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to link a, an older blog post uh, below this. Um, I wrote out a uh, like 75 terms to, you know, that you need to know as an Amazon seller and it'll all, all be in there. So, uh, so you can go look up the terms without having to Google everything and get, you know, some weird disease for SPD or something. So, um, so we, we, uh, we always like to wrap it up. Um, was there anything that we should have asked you that we didn't ask you? Well, you didn't ask me to lunch. <laughs> That's right. That's right. But um, no, in all seriousness, a lot of people ask me, especially younger folks who are newer, even newer than me, I still feel very new. But people ask me, is it hard to get into wholesale? And the answer is, it's not any harder than it was to start your business. You just have to be business savvy and roll with a bit of maturity. You're, you're talking to other business owners who are, are there to make money. They're not playing games and they're definitely not side hustling. So if you come ready to, to do business, um, even if you're younger and even if you're inexperienced, if you come with an authentic, honest willingness to do business, um, you'll be warmly received. That's great. That's great. Uh, this has been, I, I do want to wrap up with a quote of the week. I, I've got one and I actually think that this one, uh, might be rather appropriate for, for tonight because you've brought up some things that I don't think a lot of other people are doing. 
uh, which I, I I enjoy. I really like uh, I like it when you know we can kind of uncover those nuggets. So this this week's quote of the week uh, is going to be from Daniel Ludwig, uh, and he's someone who a lot of people are not going to know who he was, but he was at one time the richest man in, in the United States, uh, or actually in the world. Uh, uh, but the aperture, the uh, the quote is: "The farther the frontier, the greater the opportunity." Uh, so I, I think that's uh, appropriate for uh, for what you're doing because I I don't hear a lot of people pounding the pavement and knocking on doors, shaking hands and kissing babies. Uh, and I think there's there's a lot of opportunity there for anybody who wants to employ that tactic. It's tried and true for a reason. Yeah. Fantastic. Eli, I really appreciate you taking the time and hanging out with us. Uh, this was, uh, this was really, really good. I think there's a, a lot of nuggets in here for people to, to, um, to take home. A uh, couple of questions before we wrap up one, where can people find you? What's the, what's the easiest way for people to find Eli on the internet? I spend most of my time on Instagram when I'm on the internet for fun. And they can find me there at Eli underscore happy life. Perfect. Uh, and the other thing is, is do you, have you done any coaching consulting or anything like that? That's a great question. And I keep getting asked that more and more, and it's something we'll definitely have to consider. If anybody's interested, reach out to me and, and we'll talk on a one-on-one -on -one basis. Perfect. Awesome. Thanks so much for uh, for hanging out with us, man. This was a uh, this was a great show. Thank you. Chris and Chris, my pleasure. Great to talk with you guys and and you guys are putting out a great product. So keep doing the podcast. We we learn from you every week. Thank thank you. Appreciate really it. appreciate that. Uh, so that's it for this week, guys. Thanks so much for listening to uh, Clear the Shelf with Chris and Chris. Make sure to like, subscribe, share the podcast with your friends and family, and uh, heck, anybody who will listen, to be quite honest with you. Uh, until next week, we will talk to you guys.